0: Today on The Vergecast, the fake war between Twitter and Apple. Then Sam Bankman-Fried of FTX just can't stop admitting to fraud. And, of course, all the gadget news from this week. That's coming up right after this. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer Advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash Engineering Advantage. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down.
1: Welcome to the RoachCast, the flagship podcast of talking to the New York Times, even though your lawyer says don't do that. I'm your friend, Eli. Alex Kranz is here.
2: I'm your friend who thinks you should always do that. Do whatever the lawyer says, do the opposite.
1: I I have to encourage the audience to stop listening to this podcast immediately. (laughs) I don't know what else to tell you. Just just
2: just if it's like if it's of journalistic value to me personally, do the opposite.
1: Yeah.
3: Alex Heath is here. Hey, I'm. You know, I'm actually coming around to hating free speech in America.
1: I don't know <laughs> it's really quite, quite just,
3: tiresome. Yeah. It's becoming annoying, honestly.
1: Yeah. You know, I think we should just shut it down. Let's, let's go back to what the founders intended, which was quite honestly, not the free speech that you expect today. That's a different podcast. We can get into it later. I will note for the listener, uh, it's two Alexes today. No, David Pierce, <laughs> uh, D- David and his family produced a child. Congratulations, David. He won't tell me what said child is named. I can only assume that he's named the baby Bluetooth (laughs) 2.1 plus EDR Pierce. That's just my guess.
3: He's holding up different cables going, this
1: is USB (laughs) (laughs) 2.
3: This is 3.
1: USB-A Pierce. But David will not be here for the next few weeks. Congrats to David. We're going to have a bunch of people filling in. It's going to be a good time for everyone except David, who's not going to get any sleep. Yeah. But...
2: But he got a baby out of it.
1: You got a baby out of
3: it. Don't, Don't say, say that. It. Childbirth, I've heard, is
1: amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, David didn't have to do anything. He just had to, like, anyhow, congrats to David. Tweet at him. I'm sure he'll like to hear from you. Okay. So, let's, why are we talking about the tiresomeness of free speech in America? It's because Elon and Twitter and Apple went at it again <laughs> this week. We got to talk about that. Sam Bankman Fried won't stop talking to reporters about FTX. Like just won't. That will not be free speech for him. Yes, this is the speech that will put him in jail. It will yes. lead him directly to not being free. <laughs> and I, you know, I was at the DealBook conference for that big interview with Andrew L. Sorkin. But well, where, by the way, speaking of free speech, in America, Mike Pence said first, "I revere the Constitution," and then was asked about content moderation. It was like, "Well, you can't shout fire in a crowded theater." Can I just say, for the record, for the Veritas audience, the fire in a crowded theater line—I'm sure you've heard me or Addy say this before in the show—that line is just a throwaway line in a Supreme Court case called Schenck, in which the Supreme Court held the government could arrest you for telling people not to go into the military.
3: We are, what, less than five minutes in? Yeah. I'm just saying. Like, I knew I was already talking about
1: fire in a crowded theater. It's gone. It's, it's just like driving me crazy. This episode's over. That case was overturned in another case called Brandenburg. So it's like this, like, throwaway line, in a case got overturned. And everyone keeps saying it. It drives me bonkers. Yesterday, Mike Pence, the former vice president of the United States, was you know, he was doing Mike Pence. He's like well, you know, you can't say fire. And I out loud was like, oh, in like a row of reporters who all looked at me. Uh, so, Mike, if you're listening, I can walk you through it.
3: The best part of this was SBF and Mike Pence were on stage together, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, at the same time. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, no, they were not on stage together at the same time. They were nearly back to back. Impressive conference, incredible lineup of speakers. Again, I believe that Mike Pence is a listener of the show. Absolutely. He Very strong feelings for HDMI CEC. <laughs> Pence and SBF,
3: really two excellent figures, two excellent public figures that we should all aspire to be one day.
1: Mm. Yeah. Baby. You know, I keep telling this, I I told this story maybe a hundred times yesterday. It's like, I know my limit as a reporter is like a tech reporter. Like I can't cross over into politics or general news because I just can't figure out how to pretend that I care about what Mike Pence has to say. (laughs) Like, I just can't, I can't turn it on. I'm like, yep, there, there's a Well, the he has
3: a really great book about his time in office, Neil. yes, yeah, so. Don't
1: read it. Uh, Andrew Sorkin actually did it. It's free speech. You should read it. So the book is called So Help Me God. And yesterday, Sorkin, when he was saying goodbye to Pence, he looked at him and said, so help me God, thank you, which was deeply funny. Wow. Okay. Wow. We'll get to SPF on that stage and all the Yo. interviews and what's going on at FTX in a bit. Let's start with Twitter, Apple, Tim Cook giving Elon a tour of the Apple campus, which was a weird outcome of this whole thing. It was just a weird week of like the culture war and Elon wanting to launch Twitter blue and the Apple tax all just colliding.
3: Ron DeSantis.
1: Ron DeSantis. Just like the most crazy that you could get. Heath, what's going on?
3: Oh, what is going on? Uh, It looks like Musk and Cook squashed the beef. Musk started the week saying Apple... You know, do they hate free speech in America? No. Spoiler alert, they hate it in China, not America. (laughs) Yeah. But— Saying this, and then you know, complaining about the thirty percent. This was a few days after Phil Schiller had mysteriously, you know, the head of the App Store deleted his Twitter account after Trump had been reinstated. The vibes were starting to shift between Apple and Twitter. Why is this important? Our listeners are smart, but I should just say Twitter will probably cease to exist if Apple ever decided to kick it off of its App Store. So Apple is its most critical source of distribution. Also taxing blue, the subscription product that. Elon is essentially betting the future of the company on. And so there was some speculation as to, is he critiquing Apple because he's mad about the 30% or has Apple done this thing that it does sometimes quietly behind the scenes uh, with apps and say, hey, uh, we don't like what we're seeing on here. There's too much, you know, (laughs) X, uh, I think. Yoel Roth, Twitter's former head of Trust and Safety, had said in a New York Times op-ed that, you know, there were people at Apple who had raised concerns about there being too much nudity on the platform before, for example. So, you know, Musk comes in, he fires a lot of the, you know, moderators, talks about letting pretty much anything go, amnesty for all the banned accounts. I could imagine Apple got concerned. Twitter is wanting to push an update for the new to relaunch Blue, which got delayed again this week. But Apple's tied up in all that, and they have the power to actually keep uh, the Twitter app from being updated until Twitter meets whatever their specific slash vague demands are that they don't publicly articulate because they're Apple. Somehow, this all led to Elon Musk and Tim Cook walking Apple Park <laughs> together around. Have you been there to that to that specific body of water, Neil? Yes, or crayons? Yeah. Yes, okay. it's beautiful. So. I imagine, like, if you're an Apple engineer and you're out there taking lunch, taking a call, and maybe that's, like, a normal thing to see. I, I doubt it, but I would have loved to have seen the entourage or last so of— So
2: it was definitely Tim Cook? Because we I saw the photo, and I saw the shadow. But we confirm this?
3: Yeah, there was some shadow analysis done, and it looked <laughs> like him.
2: What if he had, like, a cardboard stand-in? <laughs>
3: it could not even be— just given the state of Twitter, you know, that could have been a fake account that tweeted that. We don't actually know that that was Musk. Um, <laughs> I but. will
1: say that um, we were told Apple employees had seen the two of them walk around together. I, like very specifically like that, like they did it that way so <laughs> that it would get out. Mm-hmm. Like they made a show of the two of them walking around such that other people would see them walking around to, so that they wouldn't have to confirm it officially, which yeah. is. And we Pretty
2: assume good. it was because he wanted to talk about the 30%, which Twitter wouldn't actually have to pay because it's less for these kind of subscriptions.
1: Well, it's 30% the first year. So there this is but like, then it like drops, right? It drops to 15 in the second year. This is when I say like this whole story is out of control. We've done this before. <laughs> I've been here. I live here. I built a I have a vacation home. <laughs> in the app store. <laughs> like <laughs> Tim Sweeney, is, you know, he sails a ship here once a year <laughs> to yell about it. Like, we spend a lot of time talking about these policies. They're not great. I don't think that the vast majority of the tech industry loves the duopoly power of Apple and Google when it comes to their stores, and especially these fees for in-app purchases. Right. And I know that that's true because there were trials about it. <laughs> because... Epic sued these companies over those policies. The trial took a month. Apple won. The Google one is like ongoing. The Apple one is all the way up at the court of appeals. They've already had arguments. Like that's where we were all the way there. And now it's because of Elon. We're like starting at the beginning and he's literally tweeting, did you know Apple charges a fee? And it's to me, it's there's an element of bad faith embedded in that. You don't say. Well, uh, that's uh, like the most <laughs> gentle way of putting
2: it. I have a question though. Was the thirty percent? The thirty percent is the first year you're on you're on the app store, right? Like the first year you have this for a subscription product. Yes. Didn't Twitter already launch this launch this subscription product?
1: So the uh, Twitter Blue, which was I believe was four dollars a month, I paid for that version yeah. of Blue because that was the one that uh, on our site and many others got like blocked the ad. So if you clicked on a link to our site from Twitter and you were paying for Twitter Blue we wouldn't show you the ads and we would get like you know cents we would get we would collect pennies from you as part of your Twitter Blue subscription. Thank you. Uh, the Spotify the business model that Spotify has used to make so many artists rich <laughs> had finally come to publishing via <laughs> your $4 a month Twitter Blue subscription. But I was paying for that one cuz I thought it was nice to pay the publishers that I visit most often directly. Mm-hmm. Was I mostly paying the company that I work for? Yes. But I was paying for that one, and that one was indeed an in-app purchase. And I had talked to Kayvon Bakepoor, who was two heads of product ago, Alex. <laughs> yeah, actually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. So Kayvon was the head of product of Twitter. He was, he was reasonably successful for a Twitter mm-hmm. head of product under Dorsey, and he was mm-hmm. on Decoder. And I spent a lot of time asking him about the 30%, 15% fee. Yeah. Because everything Twitter wanted to do at that time ran into the fee. This is Twitter Blue expanding it. This is they were going to do a, a competitor, a Substack. The, you know the the swirl of NFT nonsense it was, it was raging. It was like NFT summer, and I was like, "What are you going to do about these fees?" And he was very clear in that interview: "We are not in the business of skirting the platform rules. We're going to pay the money." and try to build our businesses the right way. And maybe if we get enough leverage, we can go talk to Apple. So that's where Twitter was. This new version of Blue, $8, he needs every one of those pennies to make up for the lost advertising revenue.
2: Right, but my question is, did Apple restart the clock? Was Apple like, oh, new owner. All right, we're back to 30%. You got to wait a whole year.
1: No, 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 because it's a new product. It doesn't matter. Oh, it doesn't matter. Okay. Right. It's the consumer. It's not the company. So I sign up the first year that I subscribe to you, Alex Kranz, and in mm-hmm. that purchase. Apple will take 30%. The second year of my subscription to you is 15%. Okay. But that's per product, per customer. Okay.
3: Yeah, I, I actually think we're maybe overplaying the importance of the 30%. Elon has even talked internally since he took over about how they're intentionally only doing Blue through iOS because they want to use Apple's payments layer and security because they don't have it In house. They don't have the ability to do it. So I don't actually think Musk has a problem with the 30%. If anything, he was probably sending out grenades because a conversation had started to happen where Apple was going. And this is exposing the reality of Silicon Valley, which is that Apple is Silicon Valley's strongest speech regulator. Mm -hmm. They just don't call themselves that. And that's because they routinely will go to a social network if they don't like what they're seeing or they don't like the direction something is going. I mean, they booted Parlor. This is the most famous example of them actually. Booting
2: whoa, something. whoa, whoa. That's not the most famous um, example.
3: What is the most famous example?
2: gate <laughs> at Tumblr.
3: Yeah. Okay. I, I know it all comes back to Tumblr. It always for, comes for crans, back to but, Tumblr. Always. Uh, I would say Parlor in the moment it was in was a bigger deal. Yeah. But, but um, Apple is – Silicon Valley's de facto speech czar, this because of the way they leveraged the store. What probably happened around the time Schiller deleted his account was Twitter got a message saying, hey, We're noticing the direction that the site's going, all the reports we saw early on about the spike in racist uh, tweets, hateful tweets. You fired all your moderators. We have concerns here. And guess what? Twitter's trying to cue in the revamp of Blue, which they need to push an update for, which Apple can hold. And they do this all the time, where they don't say, we're going to remove you. They say, ah, this update, you know, it would be a shame if it never, you know, (laughs) came out. And that's probably what was going on. And, you know, Elon actually responded to our own Jake Kastronakis earlier in the week when Jake asked directly, is Apple threatening you all or making moderation demands? And he said yes. And so that conversation with Cook was probably Elon saying, no, look, like, I care about this stuff. You know, I don't want the bad stuff. And Cook going, "Okay, okay, now give me my 30 percent. And Musk left. So it definitely –
2: Just real quick, it definitely, definitely wasn't him going and begging Tim Cook to do what Tim Cook has repeatedly refused to do and buy Twitter.
3: (laughs) I don't, well, it's kind of amazing that this is what got Elon a meeting with Tim Cook, because if we all remember, there was some reporting, I don't remember if this was two years ago, three years ago, about how there were conversations where Elon maybe wanted Apple to look at buying Tesla many years ago when it was struggling, and Tim Cook like did it answer his call <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and Cook was like, we've never spoken. And, uh, it only took buying, you know, Twitter for $44 billion to get a meeting with Cook. So, well, no, we
1: can, we can unpack that further. So I think Alex, the, the general sweep of what you've laid out is correct. Right. Mm-hmm. What we also know is that what for Facebook or Instagram or any of the big companies, it's, it's not just an irregular series of conversations with Apple, right? Yeah. These, if you run an app like Twitter or Instagram or whatever it is, your relationship with app review, like you're in each other's pockets because those companies are pushing updates constantly. That's why their release notes are so bad in their apps. Like it's just like bug fixes and other (laughs) improvements. It's because they're, they're just like hundreds of updates that go into these apps constantly and they want to push them out really fast to support whatever they're doing at the other companies there's basically an entire staff of people that just manages Apple, right? Like (laughs) you're in charge of these app reviewers. You're going to Phil Schiller and Eddie Q are your best friends, take them out to dinner take them out to like, get it done.
2: Yeah.
1: Elon fired all those people. (laughs) So there's a, there's, I would say like, yes, maybe Apple's a little worried. Yes. Whatever. At the same time, the way they express those concerns and the very true implicit threat of if you don't meet our demands we can kick you off the store. Elon just doesn't have the people who can translate the Apple weirdness for him. Yeah. to manage that relationship. Yeah. And I think this just quickly spiraled out of control where Apple was probably saying stuff it almost always says. That's that's my like vague understanding of it that from Apple's perspective this was just the normal course of business and like if you're not used to the mafia yeah, the sort of implicit <laughs> threat is like very threatening. Yeah, you got to go make your pilgrimage if you're. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. so Elon was like, "They threatened me," and Apple's like, but "No, no, no. This is just the basic. No. this is just the, like the foundational <laughs> we threat." We didn't even so take the like, bat
2: out of the car. We left yeah. it. Yeah. So we're like we're just knocking. We're just saying hi. What's He's the
3: like, problem? "Can I tell you about a thing called app tracking
1: transparency?"
3: <laughs> um, exactly. It's yeah. like so. Here's what we
1: did: we destroyed Meta's business overnight <laughs> and made it seem like we we're the good
3: guys. That's what well, we're able to do here. It's just This is such a strange dynamic because as we also found out this week – and it it makes perfect sense to where I wish I would have just thought of this earlier. Apple is Twitter's largest advertiser. Yeah. So not only is Twitter totally reliant on Apple to survive from a distribution perspective, they also need their money
1: to just like – pay the bills. This is a question mark I have. I don't know why Apple is Twitter's biggest advertiser. I don't know what they get out of it. Because they hate Facebook. Where else are they going to advertise
3: on social? So, I mean, like... Apple famously will not even put Facebook in, like, an App Store list of, like, apps you need for the holidays. Like, Apple will not touch Facebook or any of their properties. They also don't really care about targeting, as we've seen (laughs) this. So if if you're them, like, Twitter is actually the perfect platform. It's, like, just a brandy advertising, like, thing for events and live stuff, which they do all the time, the promoted hashtags. It makes perfect sense that Apple would actually be Twitter's largest advertiser. I'm just kicking myself that I didn't think of it sooner.
1: And that spend is going down, although right. there is some reporting that it has gone up.
3: Well, you can't week. just. Twitter is not plug and play like Facebook is, where it's a lot of direct response advertisers that are running like hyper, you know, measurable campaigns that can be turned or on or off at a dime. Uh, Twitter is much more brand centric. We've talked about this on past shows, and you can't you can't just claw back everything immediately. Although it seems very real that Apple has significantly clawed back its spend, though not all of it.
1: So that's one piece, right? which is the overreacting to the threat of app store control, Mm -hmm. which is very funny. Like I I think app store control is bad. I think if you have listened to the show for more than five minutes, you know that I think Apple's control of innovation on its phone is maybe a little bit more than it should be. Yeah. And that's like me being nice, (laughs) but it's still there. And it's also just, everyone knows it. Like we've we've done fifteen rounds of this story.
2: It was kind of like when like your parent calls you after an Apple event and says, "Well, did you hear they had a new iPhone?" And you're like, "Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah." No, definitely.
2: Like it's the But same then actually,
1: thing. my mom lately is I'm like, "What does the new one do?" And I have to be like, uh, "Dynamic <laughs> Island."
2: <laughs> <His> parents <laughs> are funny. not impressed by the dynamic island. It's
1: There's not a, a black
3: talking point for them. Black uh, box on the top. Now you can't move.
1: I will say that my mom. First of all, my mom uh, cried when Steve Jobs died. That's a real fact. She was very sad about it. And now lately, she will well, never she's unhappy with her phone, she's like, Steve Jobs would have never signed <laughs> a phone like this. It's <laughs> perfect. Can you imagine Steve Jobs negotiating with Elon this week? He wouldn't It's have. all I can imagine. I would spend oh the rest of the show just writing out that negotiation. He would have destroyed it. Um, because he wouldn't put up with any of it. This is actually, I think, the important thing. This is why Elon ended up on the Apple campus. Because Tim Cook is... An underrated, savvy political operator. Right. If you think about Tim Cook and what he accomplished over the past five years, yet we can name a lot of things, actually at the top of the list is managing Donald Trump, Foxconn, and China through a trade war and coming out having manufactured and shipped more iPhones than ever before. Because that was not a guaranteed situation at all.
2: Well, it's not going great for him with Foxconn right now, but...
1: It's not. It's it's going very badly with him for Fox on right now. But in terms of his understanding, yeah, of how to manage that kind of personality, <laughs> he has more practice than maybe any business owner in America, right? And Alex, he well, and the two Alexes, and he keeps reminding me <laughs> a lot of what we're seeing from Elon right now tracks with Trump. Like it's very oh, yeah. reminiscent of Trump. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know this for sure, but I. I've spent over a decade paying a lot of attention to Apple and knowing a lot of people in and around there. Like, you know, um, sometimes I'll just be in my house, like pouring coffee and my wife will walk into the room and be like, why are you tense? And I haven't (laughs) said a word to her and we haven't been in the same room for more than 10 seconds and she knows. And the vibes coming off of Apple were were that, right? Like you just pay a lot of attention to this company.
3: You see You're like, I'm charging my mouse right now and it's upside down. And I'm just
1: pissed. (laughs) (laughs) And my sense is he started doing these tweets about Apple and free speech and the store and the 30%, and they wanted to come out storming and basically being like, yeah, it's our store, 30%, like our way or the highway. We just beat Epic, screw you. And then the weird GOP tweets started and Ted Cruz lit up and Ron DeSantis lit up and Mike Lee, who co-sponsored the antitrust bills lit up. Tucker Carlson did a segment, and the culture war started. Addie and McKenna wrote a great piece about this. Apple, like Elon, drove Apple into the most unpredictable, ideologically incoherent part of America, which is the GOP culture war. <laughs> and they realized, oh, this somehow this is going to end with a bill that allows sideloading on the App side. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and they decided that instead of going on offense, Tim Cook would. Be a politician. And he would charm Elon with a walker in a circle around the campus. And they get, And I'm pretty sure that that is just the the flow of that decision that occurred. Because unlike Epic and Fortnite, when they went fully on offense, they see this other thing, this other thing that Elon has a handle into, which is just the wildness of the culture war. Like, Fortnite did not get a Tucker Carlson segment about free speech. No,
3: no. I mean, what did Ron DeSantis say? It was basically like, if Twitter is banned by Apple, you know, uh, we need to regulate Apple. Yeah. I mean, that was the direct—
1: Yeah, he's like, Congress should respond to this, like, yeah. raw demonstration of mon- monopoly power. And it's like, first of all, it's not that I'm not sympathetic to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? We've had, like, David Cicilline and Amy Klobuchar, like, have been on the show talking about their antitrust bills. Yeah. I get it. But the the solution is like market competition. It's not we should punish Apple because they pissed off Elon. And when you're I, I just think that level of unhingedness actually made Apple change its tactic away from what they did with Epic, which was we'll see you in court. Uh,
2: like what's going to happen, though, because we also have Ireland who is saying you suck to Twitter and is it seems ready to like fine it into oblivion.
1: So we have like we have. Well, we, so wait, wait. Actually, let's organize this conversation. Okay. Yeah. So like, I think Keith was saying let's put a bow on. it. Okay. Yeah. We should talk it. about the rest of Twitter. Okay.
3: And and to put a bow on this, you know, with how smooth Tim is, Elon tweets after the meeting and goes. Look, we resolved this misunderstanding was the word he used where like two days before, maybe even a day before, he was tweeting at Jake and other people being like, Apple hates free speech in America. <laughs> yeah. He meets with Tim Cook for 30 minutes and is like it was a misunderstanding. Tim was clear that Apple never considered banning us. Everything's chill. And then he follows Tim Cook on Twitter. And then it's yeah, and like, he
1: deletes his I'm going to go to war with you tweets. Right.
3: Right. So, <laughs> so, like, if, you, if you're going to come at the king, you best not miss. I mean, that was the lesson, I think, for Elon and Apple this week. Yeah.
2: Wait, who's the king in this scenario? Tim
1: Cook. It's Tim Cook.
2: Is it? because Tim Cook, absolutely. No, because like, Elon uh, threw a giant tantrum and got what he couldn't get for years, which was a meeting with Tim Cook.
1: That's not, Tim, he's the richest man in the world. If he really yeah. wants a meeting with Tim Cook, he can get a meeting with Tim Also Cook. like Tim Cook didn't come to Twitter. Apple, you know, like, like Elon came to Apple. <laughs> like there's this,
3: <laughs> Tim Cook's not gonna like go
1: meet. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Tim Cook is not wandering the the desolate, empty halls of Twitter <laughs> <laughs> He's like, we're not even getting in the building. We're gonna walk around outside. That kitchen
2: sink sitting over there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the, I, I mean, we have no idea what was said in this conversation. But Microsoft has tried for years to get out of the 30% cut. Microsoft has tried for years to evade app store rules around game streaming and give Apple and they can't get there. And so I I think you, there's no way that Elon got anything out of this deal. And I have no idea what Tim traded ahead to make him tweet what he tweeted, right? There there has to be, they're both savvy business people. They're not bad at this. They had to have come. He didn't just tell him he like smelled good and he was like, I forgive you. Like he was, they exchanged something and we have no idea what that exchange was. The
3: most logical explanation was Apple was threatening to keep Twitter's app update in purgatory because of concerns about content moderation. Elon assured Tim that he had a handle on it, which, uh, debatable, but he obviously assured Tim and they left the meeting, Tim going, okay, we won't we won't keep you in purgatory. That's the most likely explanation of what happened. I actually think 30% was maybe not raised at all. I would be shocked if it actually was. Cause like, that's not, that's a non-negotiable thing, right? That's.
2: Well, Apple's it is name. negotiable depending on who you are. Just it's, Yeah. It's
1: negotiable. If you get a bunch of right-wing members of Congress to sign. In on <laughs> bill. It's right there. And it's, it was on an unlikely outcome. Yeah. Right. Right. Like that's, and I, I think Apple recognized that, and that's why they played it this way instead of the way that they have been playing it. By the way, Apple's position this whole time has been clear since the Epic trial. Yeah, you can do sideloading on our store. Yeah, you can whatever the stuff we're forced to do in South Korea and other countries. Developers still have to pay us the money, right? right. It's not just you can get around us. It's what we actually care about is the money, and the decision, at least in this country, the judge – basically said, yeah, Apple is entitled to being paid for its intellectual property and its effort developing iOS. So even if the bill is passed, Apple is, they've been pretty clear and consistent this whole time. And they have rolled out this system in other countries that require, uh, you know, other kinds of in-app purchasing systems to be present in iOS that Apple still wants a cut. They don't really care. Yeah. You might not use your credit card processor, but Apple's getting its, its money. And I think that's actually the non-negotiable part, whether it's in-app purchases or whatever else. And I think, Elon is, is smart. I think we can agree on that. But coming late to the game and pointing right at Tim Cook's services revenue line and being like, what if less is like you got to try harder
3: than that? <laughs> that's the reality of life. The sun will rise and Apple will get its money. Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, All right, let's talk about Twitter itself. Heath, okay. you've been reporting on it. Yes. What's the vibe in there right
3: now? Oh, well, I think Monday was like the perfect – like. Just microcosm of life inside Twitter. So, Elon sends this email at like 3 a.m., as he's prone to do, saying, We're going to do code reviews again. Bring your lines of code, which any engineer will tell you is an absurd exercise. um, And reminded again that he expects managers to be coding as well, engineering managers. I think his direct quote was, Being unable to do so is like a cavalry captain who can't ride a horse. Does he like, and
2: does he know how, like, what? anything works outside of like the Elon Musk crafted world. Does he just understand? He's the
3: richest man in the world, Kranz. He knows all, he knows everything. He knows, everything. Uh, he he knows we, everything. We respect capitalism in America and free speech in uh, and, and that order. So anyway, he sends this email. Everyone's like frantically trying to figure out what this means. Does this mean more people are about to get fired? The code review doesn't happen. So everyone shows up to Twitter, San Francisco offices Amazing. for the Elon code review Monday evening. It does. He's not, the, the, no one can find Elon. There's no code reviews that happen. The fire alarm does get pulled, and a bunch of engineers end up spending about an hour standing outside of Twitter's office as they figure out what goes on with the fire alarm. So that was, like, just Monday. Mm-hmm. And then
1: progressively— <laughs> Wait, the fire alarm got pulled?
3: Yes. That's really good. So that's, that's just like—and and then you have this remarkable thing where you have—and I think, Kranz, you were wanting to mention this earlier. Yeah. Twitter's VP of public policy, who's based in Ireland, sued the company— To keep them from firing her over the hardcore ultimatum that she didn't say check the yes to from a couple weeks ago, and she won. Like this is the first example of (laughs) a VP that I've ever seen suing to stay employed. Have have we heard of this? Has this is this? I mean, it's very common
2: in like Europe because they have much stronger labor laws there. So I think we've seen this repeatedly with Twitter in Europe is that he has no grasp of labor laws there and he doesn't understand no, that like, absolutely.
3: he can't just fire But I'm saying, but I'm saying a high ranking executive suing a company to stay employed.
1: Right. Again, I think this is like a very European in America. We solve our problems with cash. Yeah, that's true. Right. So you're, you're mad at your company in America. You see them, you're like, pay me however much money I would have made in the next year of employment. And then I'm done with you. Other countries, other legal systems, you other remedies are available. <laughs> like no, you have to hire
2: law. me back. Yeah,
3: yeah, you're
1: gonna hire me back. You, I still yeah. work here. Um, um,
3: so it's just, it's just. I, I think it's an. And like she was, she was technically like employed still under European law, but like had been locked out of her systems. And she's, she's just like twirling her thumbs. This is a VP of public policy being like. And now she's apparently back in the slack.
1: It's like amazing. I think it's also
2: I mean, in Germany. There's an is either Germany or France. There's a number of Twitter engineers who are also suing because they also got fired and you can't fire them. You can't just
3: do that. Yeah. You have yeah. to give like
2: a ton of notice and pay them out and all of this. And they're like, no, you, you broke the law. We're, we're not America. Yeah. So he's but he's also struggling like he's struggling with the labor law there, but didn't. The EU commissioner this week, one of the EU commissioners say, we're going to like, what was it?
1: Yeah, they've got to have the data controllers that they, I mean, the EU is a very regulated environment, especially as it pertains to privacy issues. And they're like, "Who? all the people are gone, so get well, back in no, your
2: game. He told Mr. Britton – so this is from the Irish Times. Mr. Breton told Mr. Musk he must adhere to a checklist of rules, including ditching an arbitrary approach to reinstating banned users, pursuing disinformation just aggressively, and agreeing to an extensive independent audit of the platform by next year.
3: None of that's going to happen.
2: So, I mean, yeah. you say that, but the EU has a pretty good record of, like, bodying tech companies – when yeah, with
3: fines, which I mean, and with that's fines that, for a
2: company that needs to make yeah, how much that has money? no money.
3: Yeah, yeah like, I know. That's. I think that's Ireland's the a dark
2: horse in this yeah. this race for for Elon. He keeps ignoring the world. Exists. Whether
3: the FTC decides finds any evidence that they have actually violated their compliance for re- you know requirements in the EU, if either one of those those regulators decides to act on Twitter, that could legitimately put it out of business.
2: Right. Yeah, and so instead he's like, "I'm gonna pick a fight with Tim."
1: Yeah,
3: well, he did wear a suit for the meeting with the EU, so Ooh. maybe he is taking that seriously.
1: Elon is not bad at getting government money. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it might be his greatest skill.
3: It is Tesla's the way Tesla makes money yeah. is, is, it's is like, yeah, it's carbon credits yeah. and,
1: and grants, and SpaceX is a government contractor. So it's I don't think that I think we might I might be saying that Tim Cook is an underrated political operator. That's the main thing he does. It's true. Elon is a pretty good political operator too. The difference is Elon's businesses are monopolies. Right. Like where are you going to go, NASA? Right. Like the SLS, like not doing it for you. <laughs> like you got one choice. Where are you going to go? Like, for, like, who are you going to buy your carbon credits from? It's Tesla. So there's just like an element. Of, and if you're like a state governor and you want to prove that you're green, but well, you, you you have a supercharger put in, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> just I, I think there's like a, there's just a difference in complexity that both of them face. And I think fundamentally this EU stuff, he's, he's about to learn what it takes to run a business there. And there's a reason that, that a lot of these, like when we talk about regulation in this country, like the VCs jump out of the word work to be like, there's a reason there's no innovative companies in Europe, which mm-hmm. is not true, but that's the argument is the regul the regulatory environment is so insane that you can't do it. And I think Elon is trying to run this thing like a scrappy startup, but it is actually like a world historically important communications platform. And the Europeans, are they care about it a lot. Yeah. What else is going on inside of Twitter, Alex? Is it is it settled
3: down? I would say it's become very siloed. So, like, in, inside Twitter, you used to be able to browse any Slack channel, see basically what any team is working on. That has stopped, so channels have all been set private. He's doing these, like, inserting different language and different emails to try to find leakers. Um, edicts are still being mysteriously passed down from Tesla people inside the company about what Elon wants. The internal directory is not online. So there's no, nobody really has any understanding of like who reports to who, how orgs are set up. It's been communicated like in a team siloed environment, but not broadly. And, you know, he said that like this transitional period, he may get a lot of things wrong, but, you know, the idea is that uh, in the near future, Uh, All this will become more visible, it'll make more sense, and then he'll step back and appoint a CEO, I guess, which, you know, I can't wait to see who that is. But, yeah, I would say right now it's still people just going, if if you're not working on an Elon project, right, which is like encrypting DMs, competing with YouTube uh, by adding video to Twitter and doing monetization, Blue, the revamp of Blue and verification. If you're not working on something like that or cost-cutting, You're kind of twiddling your thumbs uh, and trying to understand who your manager may or may not be tomorrow.
1: There was a lot of noise in, you know, wave five of layoffs that Twitter wouldn't survive the World Cup. Mm -hmm. Things were going to start breaking. Has that Mm -hmm. started happening?
3: Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because like literally as we were talking, I got another notification from a from a Musk boy, like referencing (laughs) one of my tweets where I said, you know, Twitter employees were telling me they expect the site to stop breaking and everyone's dunking you know still waiting on this like yada yada i just also like if you're a musk boy and you're listening to this like your experience with twitter is not indicative of everyone else's experience with twitter um so like just because you're not experiencing something breaking doesn't mean stuff isn't breaking we've seen like my timeline's gone bonkers a couple times I don't know yep. about you guys where like all my of a sudden, notifications don't work notifications have been breaking there was a, a moment where SMS verification wasn't working there's been little glitches all over and I do think we as the media the 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 week of the first purge where half of the employees were fired we did maybe buy a little bit into the hysteria of like because we all have this weird relationship with Twitter too where we're all just like oh, what happens? I was part of a Twitter space that went on for hours where it was like, what has Twitter meant to you? What's going to mean when it's gone? Yada, yada. And I can understand people trying to latch onto that and say the media like wants this thing to fail and wants Elon to fail. And I would just like, I can only speak for how I report, but I think for all the people who are reporting on like what's happening inside Twitter, Casey, Zoe, et cetera, we're just relaying what employees are telling us. And there were a lot of current and former Twitter employees with direct knowledge who were very, very concerned based on the cuts Musk made that it would lead to a catastrophic outage uh, very quickly. That's not like a reporter saying, oh, I'm like pontificating or just like assuming this is going to happen. This is, I'm just like, I'm saying what employees are telling me. So you can trust that or you cannot. That's fine. Like you don't have to, whatever media is (laughs) fake. But that's that was the real concern and it's actually amazing that hasn't happened. I think it's a testament to the people who already were maintaining Twitter, the fail-safes that were in place when you have a service this large and you have any level of competency in how it's run, which you know Twitter didn't have as much competency as it should have but it did have a lot. There are a lot of fail-safes and just uh, ways that, you know, the service can can stay operational even on, um, you know, a skeleton crew. But that said, there are, you know, glitches, and this isn't going to mean that, like, Twitter won't break at some point. It very very well could. Musk has, like, been pretty open about that. So I just wanted to address that because, like, I'm still getting DM, yeah. at messages about well, also, that. Also, the
2: World Cup just started, yeah. right? Like, we're not even to the, the ones where people, like, line up and pack in the bars, I mean, I yeah. guess some of them are. We've seen some of that. But, like, we're we're just in the beginnings of the real crunch period for the World Cup traffic for them.
3: Yeah. And it may, it may go off great. And that will be great if Twitter doesn't break. Um, I don't want it to break. But there's, you know, there's a lot of institutional knowledge that's gone. Like yeah. we were just talking about with the App Store stuff. You know, there's a lot of people that, like, there was a moment where the Wi-Fi went out.
2: FTC regulation. Yeah, uh, compliance. Like
3: There was a moment where Elon was in the New York office and the Wi-Fi went out because like the server room where the Wi-Fi was overheated and no one knew how to get in there and fix it because like, <laughs> you fired like, the person who knew how. So there's going to be stuff like that that just happens, and that's, that's what Elon bought, and that's what he did.
1: Yeah. I think that Will It Break right away, that, that particular day was uh, bonkers. Like, it's software. Mm-hmm. Like I think we've all experienced software that just sort of putters along.
2: Yeah, there was definitely a hysteria. There was a hysteria, and I think people were acknowledging it at the time. I think everybody was even being like, "I'm hysterical, and I don't know what's happening." But like, mm-hmm. so I think people were pretty candid about it, and it is just part of that conversation where where there's a both sidesism to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody has to have like a team. They have to be Team Elon or Team
1: mm-hmm. Twitter
2: or something. And it's like no
1: Team Twitter. You don't. <laughs> Well, uh, so Elon keeps tweeting, the numbers are up, right? right. Yeah. Engage time is up, the users have gone up using the metric that he said was totally fake. <laughs> Very confusing. I've experienced the flip, and I know a lot of people who are kind of on the flip side of things, where I took it off my phone. Yeah. Because my experience of Twitter, in addition to just stuff breaking, like when my notifications break, they break in the most deeply hilarious <laughs> way. They just recommend tweets from Elon. I oh, hate, ooh. Like that. That's and I don't follow Elon. It's just like here's another tweet you might like, and it's like no, you got this wrong. I don't need more of this. This is why I took it off my phone. But I know a lot of people in the past week or so who are like, my experience of Twitter is becoming more negative because he hasn't even let everybody back on yet. But the people who remain are like more inclined to yell at one another, and they're more inclined to test the limits of what isn't isn't allowed anymore. And it's just noisier and more people are on Twitter talking about Twitter, which is just the worst. And that to me is the real danger. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Is that the people you need to make it vibrant will get driven off or they'll quit or they'll find something new, or I think maybe what might be the healthiest outcome will all just stop being addicted to social media feeds in this specific way. And like something else will emerge, which is really unusual. If you just think about the number of times that that kind of shift has even been possible over the last decade or so, it's maybe three, like at best three. I'm thinking it's like Friendster to MySpace, <laughs> MySpace to to Facebook, and then the emergence of Twitter, and then maybe most recently the emergence of TikTok, right? And like I I said three, and I the Friendster to MySpace. MySpace to facebook that's just as one. That all happened in like twenty-four months.
3: Yeah. I think snaps in there. There's there's some other shifts I mean, in there, but we've seen yeah, a lot I mean, I
2: of shifts, though, right? Like I think one of the earliest ones wasn't even Friendster. It was it was Live Journal. Live Journal was a social media platform. It was really big. It just was a different kind of social media platform. And then everybody was like, "Oh, Russia's bought it. We got to kill it. We got to leave this place. <laughs> we can't have the Russians own us." This was what two thousand nine or something, and. It didn't die rapidly. I think that, like, I would honestly say LiveJournal is the most similar analogy to this, where suddenly got a new owner, everybody started to really question what they were doing on the service, why they were doing it, and whether they were, like being good people by using the service owned by people who were potentially not good um, and might not use their data correctly. And then what happened was it's a long, slow death. There were a ton of clones. Everybody said, dream with, this is the new future.
1: Dream with.
2: no. I mean, I'm sure people use it. And then a bunch of people migrated to Tumblr, but it took, what, three or four or five years for that to happen? It just happens like this long, slow thing. We saw the same thing with Tumblr. Like we've seen this happen with these smaller social media platforms not just the big ones. And in those smaller platforms where you do see these big changes that upset the, the majority of the users, it's not a big sudden shift because people don't operate that way. Like Tumblr died and everybody said, Pillow Fort's the new thing. And the same thing that's happening now with Hive Social it happened with Pillowfort. Where it couldn't Pillow handle... For
1: it. What are you? what are you even talking I about? Yeah, yeah, Alex is just making up service names You're just Pillow saying words it was, to It me was, and I'm, it's
2: still a, it she's exists. She's like, Cluckaduck. That was huge for a minute. But, it, but, it, but it, <laughs> the same thing that happened, though, where they just said... Where everybody's like, yeah, we're yeah. going to go to this. It broke it. And it's slowly coming back. But, like... We've seen it time time again with these smaller platforms that it isn't a sudden migration. It is always a very slow thing. No,
3: yeah, people will experiment. You know, I noticed that um, TapBots, the maker of one of the best original Twitter clients, TweetBot, they're building a Mastodon client now. I actually just got on the beta. Thank you, Paul. And, like, there is interesting activity happening on M- Mastodon. I don't think Mastodon is going to necessarily, t- like— take the world by storm. I think people don't want to organize or understand servers. Like that's just an inherent yeah. human nature thing to like not give a shit about servers. But, <laughs> uh, but, um, I, Mastodon's trying, um, there will be other stuff, but I think like Twitter is really Elon's to, to mess up. Like either it will get fined out of existence or he will not have anyone left who can actually uh, make it better. And he's not able to hire for some reason, which I think he actually will. I think he actually – I've actually gotten random people emailing me being like, do you know how I can apply
1: to work at Twitter? Wow. Yeah, like people, engineers. Here's um, what you do. You print out the last 50 pages. Yeah, <laughs> you print out your code. <laughs> just um, go over there. Just hold them up above your head, like saying anything. you just show up
2: to one of his show tell like yeah, they ha- we had the Neuralink um, event this week, where right? the- almost nothing happened. He showed a bunch of old videos, <laughs> and then he was like, "Maybe I'll stick a chip in my head one year, and you could watch him." I was watching. Wait,
1: hold on. Hold Let's on. take a break. We, we come back. We we'll talk, we'll talk about. about we'll like talk about it then. Seamlessly transition from monkeys wirelessly charging their brains to sandbank. <laughs> 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 We're gonna take a break. I'm gonna figure out that transition. We'll be right back. <laughs>
0: grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech.
1: Okay, we're back. Let's talk about Neuralink briefly. This, <laughs> we're it's all Musk all the time.
0: So yeah. he had
1: the event. He had did announce some things the most improbable is that he will start implanting brain implants in people within six months.
2: He originally promised in 2020 to do the brain implants. So they were like, they were like, like, I think it was 2018, 2019. He said, 2020, we're going to be implanting these in humans. And then 2020 came and then they're like, actually it's going to be 2022. And then December, what? November 30th, 2022. They were like, no, 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 It's, it's six months, six months from now. But the majority of the time for the Neuralink Conversation was spent on like saying, We really don't do the monkeys enjoy being tested on. We're totally fine because Neuralink has been getting a lot of flack for the fact that it does a lot of animal testing. And it's like, Sometimes yeah. the monkeys die. Don't worry about it. We're going to put chips in people's Thousands brains. Thousands of
1: monkeys have died, is yeah. what writers reported today, or USA Today. We're so
2: many. About. Also, you can control the mouse with your brain slower yeah. than you could with your hand.
1: All I'm going to tell you is the single most important part of this entire demo, which Mm -hmm. was all for recruiting, and they were very open about it. Come work. Go work it. And you're like, if you want to be the cutting edge of monkeys typing with their brains, (laughs) they, like, got deep into chargers. And like, here's the problem. We need to. It needs to be convenient. It needs to deliver a lot of power and go fast. We also can't heat your brain up more than two degrees or we'll kill you. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) I was like, this is raw. Like, I wish more tech companies were this raw and stating the problem.
3: You know, thermals are a huge issue in a lot of technology. And when you put that in the brain and you heat the brain, you got to be careful.
1: They're like, so here's our solution. And they show this, like, you got to watch this video. Like, this was, this was, the president is, was not Elon. It was like a Neuralink engineering manager. And this is his life. He was dead serious about this. Like. I got to charge you up in more than 15 minutes. The battery has to last all day. And I can't, I can't boil your brain in your skull. (laughs) Very challenging problem. And he's like, so here's what we've done. There's a lever that delivers banana smoothie. And the monkeys have learned to charge their own brains by standing under this wireless charger. And they're like, here's this monkey. And he goes, and he's just like drinking a smoothie. And there's a graph. And the graph goes up. He's like, see, it's charging. Watching this. Like, One, this rules. Like, I honestly wish more Apple events featured this (laughs) exact situation. Monkeys
2: drinking smoothies, wirelessly charging.
1: Yeah, like Samsung used to be close to this. They've (laughs) really toned it down. There was a time when any Samsung event would veer right into also, in addition to washers, dryers, nuclear submarines, a fleet of uh, charging monkeys. (laughs) Like, it was always right there. Little smoothies. They've really toned it down since. I'm just saying this was like that part of this event. The whole time I was like, "All events should be like this." Yeah. Just
3: do we think the do we think the monkeys could learn how to code and then they could be at no? Twitter he he addressed
1: them. this.
2: He addressed it. He was like the monkeys because he's doing the demo where the monkeys drink in the smoothie and it's moving the mouse and typing, and he's like, "I just want you to understand they're typing gibberish." We do plan to one day maybe make them type.
3: <laughs> That'll be
2: huge. Like, yeah. Like he definitely, but it was very clearly a joke. Sadly. Yeah. Monkeys get
1: pissed when the code review gets canceled. But yeah. they just lose their minds. Oh, yeah. the like, I worked. I filed it, saving right, my speaking job. Speaking of illegal things with monkeys. <laughs> oh, there it is. There's the segue. Yes, that's a that good one. Really good. So <laughs> Neil,
3: Neil, you you were in Are uh, there monkeys in the New New Bahamas. York. That's what
1: I was like. I was like, there's got to be monkeys <laughs> in the Bahamas. Speaking
3: of. Tropical animals, Bahamas. Yeah, Uh, yeah. so, Neelai, you were in beautiful New York City uh, this week to watch Andrew Ross Sorkin of the New York Times do his annual deal book conference, and he had none other than the illustrious uh, Sam Bakeman-Fried there virtually. He was the closer. A pretty remarkable interview. We watched it. You were in the room. Can you just describe what it was like being in the room for this truly bizarre moment? And we should note that, like, people were mad that Sorkin was even doing this interview, right? Because SBF is— I think we can all say here, like probably a criminal, um, allegedly. And yeah. So there was like a debate about whether this interview should even happen and then it does happen. And then, and what was
1: that like? It was strange. I I will candidly admit that I feel a sense of smugness about all of crypto because we have been so skeptical of it this whole time. And so the way we have covered it, I think is a little more detached than people want us to be like we're just not as mad about it. And I, I recognize that people have had their lives destroyed and I am mad for those people on, on their behalf. And that's actually how Andrew opened the interview with Sam. He's like, here's some letters I got from people whose lives have been destroyed. whose life savings are taken away. But just from the verge is a consumer site. It's not a financial services site. It's not a business site. We're a consumer technology site. And so we, we just covered a sort of a remove, like it's a caper to us, I think. So it was interesting to go into that audience and the deal book audience it's, it's the code conference. Like it's the closest parallel to it.
3: Bill Ackman's in the room yeah, asking all these questions. big investors yeah. are in
1: there. Major yeah. businessmen are in there. Major politicians are in there. Pretty cool to be in that room. Like that was neat. And for most of the day, like you're in a large theater with a lot of important people. There's just like a layer of background noise in the room, no matter who's being interviewed. Reed Hastings is on stage talking about the future of Netflix. There's sort of like a layer of background noise. People are getting up. but Like, I got up in the middle and took a phone call. People are typing. There's some, like, murmurs. There's reactions to the interview. You know, it's very polite and respectful, and people are focused. But there's sort of like this layer of background activity happening in the room, right? Yeah. Uh, It's a big theater. You get to Sam, and it's just pin drop silent. Like, no one's even moving. Like, (laughs) no, no one knows what to do. And it's remote and Sam can't perceive the room. Like this is the here's the hard limit of a Zoom conversation, right? Like he's looking into his webcam and he can see Andrew Ross Sorkin and he can probably hear the room and Sorkin is on stage and I was sitting off to the side so I could see what Sorkin was looking at. He didn't have a monitor that he could not see Sam. Sam was behind him. So he was just looking into the camera to create the illusion Of eye contact. It's exactly what I am doing right now. I am (laughs) staring down the barrel of a camera lens to make it look like I'm looking at the two Alexes, but I'm looking at my camera lens. And I was like, "Oh, Andrew Osokin is a CNBC anchor. Like he's just falling back on his cable news training to create intimacy, even though he is dead aware of what's happening in this room. And yes, there's what happened on. We talk about the interview and Sam and the scam and all that stuff. I just from a creation of a cultural moment using technology standpoint, I was just like blown away. Like I Mm. I've never experienced anything like that. And I've been to a million of these conferences. We've done a million interviews. I host an interview show remotely, (laughs) but that mismatch between here is this room full of bankers and executives and politicians just tensed at the, the, on the edge of their seat, all kind of like you should shut up. Like, shut well, that, up! Shut that's up, the amazing thing. It's right? like he's just like Sorkin, video chatting. Yeah,
2: he's just having a time. Didn't
3: Sorkin? Didn't Sorkin ask at one point like, "What are your lawyers advising you?" I he mean, did. like that was the big question we all he had. Was like, this was
1: like the most incredible mumble aside of all time? He was like, "Are your lawyers telling you to talk?" To? And he's like, "They are not." And then he just kept <laughs>
3: talking. <laughs> Because there were times where Sam would look off to the side of the camera and, you know, Liz and I and others were in Slack and we're all talking and we're like, man, is he looking at his talking points? Is he looking at a lawyer who's going, no, like, what is, what is going I through this guy's head? I think he was
2: just doing, there's a thing, I do it a lot, a lot of people do, where you sometimes will, like, look away when you're talking and, and trying to get over whatever conversation you're supposed to have. And I think that's just a tick of his that he has.
1: Mm. Yeah. Mm. It was just very strange. I mean, he... From what I can tell, he, he continues to just admit to frauds. <laughs> like, he won't stop admitting to frauds, just which constantly. seems like a huge problem.
3: Well, he said he didn't intend to do fraud, oh, yeah. I believe. So and he apologized for everybody not. losing
2: their money. He's like, I just want to do right by my customers. And it's like, well, you know where you could have it done was, that? Yeah.
3: <laughs> Yeah, but it was like this weird exercise of like I don't know how the thing I made works. It was like the common refrain he would go to. He was like, it was like he was pointing to some boogeyman that wasn't him that he couldn't name because he's obviously the culprit. Right. And so what are you going to do if you're also like enough of a psychopath to put yourself in a public interview in this moment? You're going to just like invent something to blame that you can't describe. I mean, is that a fair read? I don't I don't know how else to describe See, how I think he handled it.
2: I was talking with Liz a bunch about this yesterday. We were trying to figure out why is this man coming and talking to everybody repeatedly.
1: Wait, before we go any farther with this, let's just back up a little bit. Heath, can you tell us just the elevator version of what's going on with FTX? Sure. This is probably important. <laughs> um, so FTX basically
3: started as this hedge fund called Alameda Research. They did a very basic thing and made a lot of money doing it where they basically traded the difference between the price of crypto in one country versus the next. I believe it was maybe Japan and the U.S. for a while. Sam bankman fried young dude with, seems like, other really young people, some of which he had extra, you know, kind of relationships with, are all running this thing. It's like a classic, like finance bro, like pounding Red Bulls, like uh, at your desk <laughs> all day thing. And FTX gets created as Alameda is taking off. And you know, I'll skip all the all the intricacies. What essentially how it all came down is there was an obvious, you know, massive collapse in the price of cryptocurrency. And essentially, a run on the bank happened on FTX, and the problem was is that FTX didn't actually have the money that uh, its depositors, that its customers put with them, because Alameda Research took that money to back the bets that it had lost all of its money on as a hedge fund, betting on certain crypto assets that plummeted. And so Sam did the, you know, one of the worst things you could possibly do and finance and what is actually legal if you're like a fully regulated financial institution, which FTX was not. It was based in the Bahamas. All this is very relevant now uh, (laughs) because it was very clear he was trying to skirt regulation and he doesn't actually care about regulation, even though he was saying he was the one who cared about the most. And yeah, FTX ended up not having the money to be able to give people their, their deposits. And so the whole thing came crashing down 10 plus billion you know, this was a guy who was the largest or one of the largest donors in the midterms. To both
1: sides, um, it turned out. To yeah. both
3: sides, he says. Like, you know, he, he was the youngest billionaire of his stature. I think he was the richest, you know, billionaire under 30 for a minute on paper. And now he says he's got – he's broke and, you know, but we don't actually know that. There's been a lot of reporting that money was taken out and uh, it's unclear. A lot of homes bought, that sort of thing. So that's like the – that's the elevator story of the Yeah, book.
1: and Liz has been doing great work covering FTX on the site – just for our purposes, again, art—it's a financial story. At the end of the day, it's a—you yeah. started an unregulated bank, and then did the shadiest things that an unregulated bank can do. And the amount of technology involved—yes, crypto has some interesting tech baked into it—but like at the end of the day, it's—it's it's like a bank story. So yes, we've been covering it. But I'm watching this interview, and what actually really struck me is crypto—crypto crypto in general. I don't, if you remember what I think of as crypto summer was hailed as like the next gigantic turn for the tech industry. And we all had to hear about web three interminably and just for an endless amount of crypto stuff occurred and watching the scenario is like, Oh, this, this is the moment where it's dead. Right. Where he, he, he yeah, he talks to the times yesterday, he talks to New York mag, uh, our sister publication. He was on good morning America this morning. And he's like, I need, I owe it to my customers to explain what happened
0: <laughs> to and, you know, every prosecutor
1: in every state in the country is like, and you should keep talking yeah, <laughs> because everything you say is admissible in any discrepancy in what you say, we're going to hold up in front of a jury and used to put you in jail. And it just feels like maybe the entire industry is tainted in, in an irrevocable way mm. because of all of this now. Right. I mean, if you remember the Super Bowl with like the, all the crypto ads, like Tom Brady was a FTX spokesman. He made an ad with Giselle and the entire ad was basically like, you should be in our Ponzi scheme. There was no mention of utility. It was just him being like, are you in over and over again to his famous friends?
3: Well, and we saw what that did to Tom and Giselle and you know, that's a metaphor <laughs> for what it's doing. He's not all having us, a think. good
1: year. Not a yeah. great year for uh, Tom. It's not the best year Gosh. of Tommy's life. Yeah. But fundamentally, like do you, do you, do you think that that's the case that <sighs> this moment for crypto has just come to an end? In the next moment. I mean, there might be a next moment. There has been some interesting technology developed, but I have heard more from vindicated skeptics than I've heard from people who are like, we'll come back from this.
2: I talked to a friend who was like an executive at one of these big crypto companies and he got laid off because. It they, they was running out of money because so many of these companies were like, we're going to throw a bunch of investments at it and see what happens. And it's like, wait, these are just giant Ponzi schemes. Eventually your money goes somewhere and it never comes back. And I was like, is crypto kind of done with the collapse of FTX? And he's like, I don't see how it can recover. It just,
1: really?
2: Yeah. He's mm. like, I just do not see how it happens after this. And I think even people in the Crypto community I always kind of knew that a big chunk of this is a Ponzi scheme because this money is fake money and it doesn't. Pr- there's no like, there's no gold standard. There's no. There's nothing at the other end saying all, this is all real. All money
1: is fake money. Did you just advocate yeah. for the gold standard on the Verge Cast? Yes, I
2: did. But <laughs> <laughs> I <was checking>. By
1: <laughs> but, the, by that standard, all, all money is fake money. <laughs> but
2: I mean, it, you know, there's no difference between this money. And the gold that Ash and I are currently mining on World of Warcraft as we pretend to be little dragons. Like, what's the difference? Both of them can theoretically be used to buy goods. And as more well, people Well, one you can
3: actually use for something in World of Warcraft. That's <laughs>
2: yeah, one I can go and I buy mats <laughs> to true, make yeah. my dragon stronger. Uh, the other one I can hopefully get some cash for if I trade it in yeah. crypto. And like I think they all kind of were aware that the bottom could drop out of this at any time. If anybody wants to run on the bank, a totally unregulated bank will be destroyed. And so, like, yeah, I think it's done. I
3: I, I think I, I don't think it's done. I think what we saw in this last wave was a lot of key infrastructure tech was built, like layers of blockchains were built with no use cases on top of them. So it was a Ponzi scheme because once you buy a bunch of whatever, what are you going to do with it, right? Yeah. Uh, except, you know... Certain illicit things that I you know obviously have no idea what those are so so if if you if if that's the only use case, it is a Ponzi scheme. And so I am actually seeing interesting startups. There was a lot of v c money deployed into crypto into these startups that are actually trying to build use cases. and i I think you know, we saw some of that in gaming. It didn't really go anywhere. there was it was a kind of a brief moment. but
0: where are um, the, where are the use cases
3: think, you're seeing that,
2: like, could go somewhere. Because I mean, we saw payments. it with gaming and it went Payments. Away. Payments?
3: I think we'll see some of the large social apps. Uh, Elon has talked, I know, it's like, you know. All the way back like around. This, yeah, all the way back around. But, like, Twitter will add crypto. Telegram is adding crypto. Uh, I think Meta's apps, they're already doing NFTs on Polygon. I think they will probably have some kind of crypto payment feature within but, the three years. There, There is a payments layer where it does make sense to eliminate a middleman if you can. And, like, if you use one of these tokens that actually can move quickly and a chain that actually is performative, like, it does make sense as a payment mechanism. You just have to have the network effects for that. And no one's done that yet.
2: How does it make sense to go and invest? Go find a crypto that I feel good about. Find an app that I want to use to invest in it. Invest. My, my, my cash, my, my, my legal tender that is regulated— then go, like, how is that faster and easier than Apple Pay or the, my Amex?
3: It's not. But, like, what <laughs> you're, you're describing is the retail COVID Fed STEMI bubble mania that we had that was, like, the perfect cocktail of people wanting to speculate in crypto. Right. And a bunch of companies being opportunistic about, you know, but, but
2: I'm rate. saying, like, Now that crypto has been pretty poisoned in public view, right? Like most people...
3: Definitely on a retail level, yeah.
2: How does it go... How does it come back from that? Like on the retail level, how am I going to get my best friend who has no idea what a crypto wallet is to go and use that? I mean, it
3: has to move out of speculation. It has to move out of like, you're buying this thing because it may go up one day. It has to be like, oh, I actually need this to like send someone money on Twitter or on Telegram. This is the thing
1: that, that truly struck me about watching Sam... In person at Dealbook and watching the other interviews, there are like two stories in tech right now, right? There's Elon and Twitter and there's FTX. Yeah. And we are covering, we might be over covering Elon and Twitter and we are <laughs> covering to a certain degree FTX and crypto because there's a tech element to it. But when you peel back the layers, you it's have to be money. a finance expert to really understand what happened at FTX, to really catch him in the, in the, the fraud that everyone alleges that he's committing, which he probably did. There, I cannot find the part where it's like, and here's the thing they did technically that created the fraud. It's all just the shell game of an unregulated bank. And then people saying, I want my money and the bank saying, sorry, we spent it on my girlfriend's hedge fund, which is an incredible outcome, by the way.
2: It was just, it's a wonderful life. Yeah. <laughs> just the whole scene. But this is the tech. You ready for the tech element of it? Yeah. It happened online. <laughs>
1: we used that's to, um, a long time ago at the beginning of the verge when we would like vet stories. to to decide whether we were going to write about them, we had to draw a line. That's like, we can't do this just because someone tweeted about it. Yeah. Like that. That's not, that doesn't make it a text story. That's just something. How that, that, that has changed. Uh, yeah. Now it's like all day, every day As people are tweeting. We have to react to it. We should actually talk about this part. Cause I did get a bunch of questions that I said that we were talking about in the verge has a little bit. The notion that just by interviewing Sam Bankman Fried, you're <laughs> perpetuating this fraud. I. I like d- fundamentally our job is to talk to people. So it seems, and I understand that you don't want to platform, like there's people you don't want to platform, but at this moment it's like, well, he's the bad guy, right? He's the villain. Like you, you want to know if you can get the villain to admit the villainy. And like and him speaking is actually like a public service in its way. Like if, if you are a good interviewer, I don't know. What do you guys think? I
3: find it bizarre. I mean, I guess I can understand if you don't work in the media thinking that the media is, like, aiding and embedding him if they're giving him a platform. But, I mean, why Why would you not? Because you think that he doesn't deserve
1: the attention. That, like,
3: the, or that –
2: I think it's really down yeah. to like how that platform how you use that platform how, how you, you use engage it. With yeah. it right like yeah. if if he'd gone up there with somebody who was a really soft interviewer who was just like tell me okay now what's your day like now that you've bankrupted <laughs> <Yeah>. your company <laughs> <Now that laughs> what's going on the
1: bomb escaping yeah. the feds
2: like what kind of plastic fern is that that you have looming over your head for this entire interview yeah. I don't.
1: I haven't seen that I have seen a lot of cred like credulous interviews yeah me. and that's
2: the thing is that's why I think it's okay yeah. like I think we, we've got We've seen a lot of interviews with bad actors like this in the past where they go and they give their sob story and there's no pushback. But Sorkin was like, to his credit, pushing back yeah. really consistently.
1: Oh, yeah. The last, the la- you should all watch. Actually, there is a very funny, like very vergy moment like, <laughs> in this interview. He's coming to the end and he asks a question. And he's like, So you had no CFO and no board of directors. Did you? Do you think that was a problem? And again, this is a room full of bankers and people who've invested in FTX who all should have seen the lack of a CFO and the lack of a board of directors, as a giant waving red flag, spend the money anyway. And Sam goes, I think we had too many boards and the call drops. <laughs> and so everyone thinks that he did this on purpose. Yeah. Right, that he's like yanked the plug, or like his lawyers have finally stormed into the room and like thrown the laptop out the window. And I'm looking at him like, oh, that's the Elgato Cam Link. Screen. Could you stand up and yell like, that his camera just died? Like, so what's like all the I'm, here? I'm the tech expert. Yeah, I was like, I can fix Check it. Check the Elgato. <laughs> I just like, and everyone's like, oh my god, is he coming back? And I was like, no, dude, that's just the Elgato screen. computer just timed out. <laughs> like, you're, he'll be back. Like, this dude can't shut up. He'll be, and lo and behold, he came back. And I encourage everyone to just watch the last five minutes of this interview on yeah. The Times, this site. And it's also it's it's all over TikTok. Like this is this thing has been rebooted everywhere. everywhere. Uh, Sorkin just like I And he ends by saying, are you lying? Which is I think I'm going to yeah. end every decoder interview by being like, <laughs> so are you lying? We'll note that as. SBF
3: did not give a quick no, <laughs> uh, which is never a good sign uh, that you're actually not Very lying. I, I did think that the awkward clapping at the end was like a little – I understand that that's like a conference thing that you always clap. But like it was really funny to be, see people like clapping as SBF was like leaving. But I don't I, think I, they were think clapping for him. Clapped.
2: They are like, good interview. No, yeah, I know. They were clapping I, for Andrew.
1: Also, you can't <laughs> see this. You couldn't see this on the stream, I'm sure. But then this all ends. And he's like, "All right, uh, so last thing, you know, here are some Broadway performers to close us out." And there was like <laughs> rapping. It was like Broadway rap. It was just very. It was just a very odd moment, uh, very surreal. All right, because that was the last interview of the day. That was a lot, yeah. And there was, I, I would just from what I gathered from various people there, there was a lot of skepticism that SPF would show up.
2: Yeah, because he Maybe booked this write. before.
1: He booked all this yeah. before. He said he was going to do it, but he, he's in the Bahamas. So he doesn't have to do it.
2: Yeah. That poor events planner who is working on this thing. And they're like, we're going to have this great, triumphant final interview with the guy who did FTX. He's into all this altruism. It's going to be so lovely. And then we're going to have these dancers come out and it's going to be this great moment. Then just going, do I get rid of the dancers? Like, what do I do? How do we
1: follow this now? Yeah. It was, Shout out to that uh, dude. You should, you should go watch just at least the last ten minutes of it, just because Andrew did such a good job, and like it was so weird. It was so weird. Truly, one of the weirdest moments. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back. We'll do a tiny little gadget lightning round, and we'll get out of here. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. We need like a palette cleanser here. We got to talk about some gadgets and some buttons and knobs and bleeps and bloops. Alex, what do yeah. you got for us?
2: All right. I'm not going to talk about it too much because David and I talked about it a whole bunch recently in a recorded episode before the baby came. But the Amazon Kindle Scribe came out this week. I reviewed it. If you really, 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 really want a Kindle that you can write on, go for it. Otherwise, don't just skip it. <laughs>
1: I'm I was just Alex in like our like art edit meeting was like, I reviewed the Kindle scribe and like, I, you know, I'm on the show with you. I know how yeah. you feel about e ink.
2: Yeah. I'm I would describe
1: it. the look on your face as pure devastation.
2: <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty just big bummer. Pretty big bummer. Big, yeah. It's, why I think, is it bad? I think it's bad because the software is bad. Hmm. Amazon has gotten really complacent with its software design and is like, yeah, you'll enjoy this slop. <laughs> Because you need it because we sell the ebooks. books um, That's kind of the feeling Monopolies, I get guys. from using it. Yeah, that's how they are. Uh, no, but, but it just like shoved a bunch of stuff in your face. It kept showing me like comics to buy on my black and white e-reader. It was just bad at recommending stuff. And the, the note-taking elements of it were like pretty unfulfilling. And the fact that the largest cloud computing company in the world still has you emailing yourself. In order to sync documents, <laughs> that just
3: seems. It's hey, hey, it's still not as bad as Horizon Workroom. Yeah. I'll tell you that.
2: <laughs> That's true. It's like it's like three below it, uh, but it was just it was just a, a big bummer, and you'll have to stay tuned for an upcoming episode of the Wednesday Show where I talk all about it. It's really great, but also there was a new trackball mouse. David's not here to like stop all of my better like. Stop me. Yeah, I can
1: really. I'm looking at this rundown, and I'm like, oh, this Alex made this rundown of gadgets. <laughs> this is a real. You can tell that David wasn't here this week.
2: It's it's. This is very exciting because for years the trackball space was totally undeveloped. We didn't have a lot of trackballs. <laughs> they were all wired. It was horrible. <laughs> finally, Trackball
1: space. It was undeveloped.
2: Kensington said it's no. It's actually
1: not crypto, you guys. It's trackballs. Track balls.
2: <laughs> That's the future. Like the hot
1: VC money is going into the trackball space.
2: Kensington and Logitech are just like, send us all your cash. Invest in us. But new wireless... Who
3: is the
1: SBF of trackballs, friends? <laughs> Steve Kensington. No, it's the guy who makes ploopy. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, the Poopy guys are actually
2: lovely. They're they're The trackball
1: looks sick, and I kind of yeah. want one. I gotta be honest with It you. looks sick, yeah. Do they still do the thing where they make custom trackball balls with like eight balls and things yes trackball balls yeah no this is like a hot like when i was like eighth grade like the, the custom no, track now ball you ball.
2: build your own trackball and then you i know a guy who takes like steel ball bearings and he polishes them and then he like colors them with metal i don't know i'm not a metallurgist but he does stuff and so he's got his own little fancy custom-made balls. but uh <laughs> if you don't want to do that you can get this new wireless version of the Slim Blade, which is a great name.
1: I'm reading the actual press release for this product. Can I just read you the headline of this press release? Yes. Kensington Slim Blade Pro takes trackballs to the next level.
2: Yes. I believe
1: it. They had a meeting. Like, this got <laughs> sent around. They are like, what's the headline of our press release? And they're like, do it. Next level. Next level. No That's one stopped great. I love them. it. <laughs> no <one stopped. laughs> I'm buying one of these. Why is the trackball encrypted? <laughs> All right. So I guess the Bluetooth. Yeah, you want
2: to have the Bluetooth encrypted. And then what else? Yeah, Allison Johnson reviewed their, or checked out the new Genki Covert Dock Mini, which lets you like dock a lot of your different game systems very easily. And historically, those docks for like the Switch are these giant mm-hmm. devices. Like it's a big plastic yeah, things like block. the size of
1: an iPhone charger.
2: Yeah. And so it's just cool. It's just Nice. I was when the switch first came out, everybody was complaining about how they couldn't just plug a USB C cord in, and you still can't. You still can't just like plug a USB C to HDMI cord into your TV and have a dock. But
1: that does seem like a miss, but this thing looks cool. This is a great gadget.
2: Yeah, just very, very this cool. Like, stuff. This is
1: like a, the rare Indiegogo that like really went off.
2: Yeah, because Genki's been, they've, they've had a couple of these. This is, this is the newest one, it's only $50, and like you can just chuck it in your purse. Which is what she did. Um, you guys, I guess, would put it in your cargo pants, your <laughs> your fanny pack. I don't. What? What? You how did?
3: You, <laughs> how did you know that's what I wear every day? Is it because I live in Southern California?
2: <laughs> just with flip flops. Your
1: board shorts.
2: That's actually yeah. what Alex is wearing right now. You guys can't see it, but looking great.
1: That was a probing. That was a very yeah, revealing. She was just like, comment. let me throw out cargo pants and see how they react. <laughs> that's all right. Look, I appreciate an extra pocket. Yeah. I feel like we we need to talk about the Eufy thing. Maybe we should have Sean come on a Wednesday show and like really get into it. But Sean Hollister, I would say, very annoyed with Eufy. Mm -hmm. There's a story that Eufy security cameras could just be accessed via VLC, the app VLC. Yeah. You could basically just type a URL in the VLC and start streaming your camera. Sick. (laughs) Which is not great. It's a little (laughs) bit harder than that. There needs to have been an event that triggered the camera, all this stuff. But Eufy is out there being like, our cameras are fully encrypted and safe. End to end encrypted. And so he what? asked him for a statement, and he's like, this is impossible. And then he did it, and it worked.
3: Well, okay, so I have Eufy's. They're through HomeKit,
1: though. Like, they're
3: through my Home yeah. app, and I don't use the Eufy app. Therefore, I'm safe, right? Because no. if it goes through... HomeKit's no. camera app... If it goes through Apple HomeKit, isn't it... It's real ETE? bad.
2: Yeah. Jin's talked about this a few times, but the, the HomeKit camera situation is, is not one... She would recommend. I,
3: I gotta go, guys. I got a problem. <laughs> on my
2: head. Everybody, just start like randomizing Yuffie uh, camera links, and you'll you'll be like, "Hello!" and you'll see Alex's cargo pants. It's gonna be great.
3: <laughs> so even if even if you had your Yuffie routed through HomeKit, you're still susceptible to this.
1: I think it is unclear at this time. HomeKit Secure Video is supposed to be encrypted, right? But the VLC thing is just going to the camera. <laughs> Right, so it's like maybe the connection from the camera to HomeKit to the cloud service Uh, to your phone, all that is encrypted. But if you can just talk to the camera directly, it'll just give you a video file. Would Thread have kept this from happening? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't, we we got a bunch of cameras outside. I think cameras inside are really weird. And I have always picked the Ring cameras, not because I, like, love the entire ring ethos of, like, what if we terrify old people and having cameras outside their house? No. Yeah, you like bad software. I love it. It's the best. <laughs> yeah, But it's also that I, I know that Amazon will probably, like, last a long time. Mm. And they are... Fair. And they are going to run... They're going to make their own software and run yeah. AWS directly and, like...
2: I mean, not if the Kindle's any indication. All
1: these other companies that are... Sorry. <laughs> that's true, but I... Can you VLC into a Kindle? Like, <laughs> there's just a part of these other companies where it's like they're just buying commodity bits and bobs off the shelf. Yeah. And assembling them into products. And it's like, that's where the security consequences come from. Whereas at least with the ring, it's like, I know they're a company that will like last a long time.
2: Because Yuffie, I think Yuffie, the appeal was it wasn't one of these other companies. It could use HomeKit. You could just have it attached to your local storage and not have to have any kind of cloud at all, which is as someone who yeah. loves a server. Um, I'm a huge fan, but it just like you still have to there's still security. You still have to think about these things. There's still ways to hack this stuff. And yeah, if by
1: typing the address <laughs> of the camera into VLC and <laughs> accessing an unencrypted stream. Perfect. But I saw a TikTok of somebody just like talking about their Plex over the other day. I forgot to send it to you. But now uh-huh. this is because of our relationship here. Yeah. TikTok is like we need to start storing him Plex content.
2: I'm so happy for you.
1: Kranz, do you have a Mastodon server?
2: No, I was looking into putting one on my Synology, and, or like my Synology server, that's what I use. Mm. And then I like read about three lines into how to create a Mastodon server. <laughs> and that was the end.
1: Mm.
3: So as a lover of servers, you can't even get behind Mastodon. So I think Mastodon's no. doomed. We can end the pod doomed. On that. It's
1: doomed, guys. Go to Discord. No, Mastodon is going to be, what's going to happen to Mastodon is going to be incredible. Someone is going to centralize a Mastodon instance and that's going to become the service. And that's everyone else can, yeah. they're going to have like fake interoperability with other Mastodon servers, but everyone's going to join TwitterClone.com. You know who it is, which is Mastodon. And then it's going to have all the same problems as you Twitter. You know who it is. Who's that?
2: It's all full circle. So this little company has, so small social media company we've never talked about on this show before, I definitely have never talked about, has announced that they're going to support Mastodon instances. So you'll be able to log in with your Tumblr account onto Mastodon. That's pretty good. It's going to be Tumblr. Just just embrace it, guys. I'm sorry.
1: I feel like Matt Mullenweg, who's the CEO of Automatic, which owns WordPress and Tumblr. Yeah. I think he senses blood in the water. <laughs> yeah. You <laughs> have the feeling he's like, oh, I went through this App Store review shit with with Tumblr. <laughs> you can't like, hurt me. He
2: bought that for how much money did Yahoo lose when they sold it to him? It was like
1: 80 billion. It was crazy. It was like the full
2: amount. Yeah. So,
3: well, this is, this is Yahoo loves to do this. I don't think they've ever made money on
2: anything. So, automatic is going to make some money.
1: Yeah. 98.1% loss. Yeah, they bought Sounds it. Right. They <laughs> bought it for one point <laughs> one billion dollars, and they sold it for twenty million <laughs> well, <laughs> well below twenty million dollars. That was a Marissa Mayer special, I think. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, yeah. One her strategy was buying every app to get talent in the door.
2: In between Zamboni drives,
1: actually, I, neither of you know this story. When we first started The Verge, we had this like horrible office in New York City on Fifth Avenue. Uh, it was small. I, I, I feel very fondly for it, but objectively, it was like. Crap. Didn't you guys do the Verge cast in like a closet? We did for a minute there. Yeah. It wasn't even a closet. It was just like the side of the room and everyone in the office had to be quiet when we podcast. It was great. <laughs> you can go back and watch them. there. And we, there was a company next to us called Stamped.com. And to this day, I still kind of don't know what they did. I think they made stamps. Like I don't know what they did. And one day they were gone and we're like, what happened to Stamped.com? And Marissa Meyer had shown up and bought them right under our noses. And then they were <laughs> part of Yahoo. And we're like, you were next door. You could have he told us. Couldn't. No one ever heard from stamp.com, Yahoo, or Marissa Meyer ever again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last one. I'm just going to tease the fact that we're working on this review. The Oceanic Plus app for the Apple Watch Ultra is now out for our scuba divers in the audience. I'm only bringing this up because I, the, what I've heard about our Apple Watch Ultra review video. It's going to win an Oscar. It's, I mean, this is the highest budget thing. we This is a Marvel movie at this point. <laughs> Full billion dollar <laughs> avatar stand back versus Apple watch ultra review is coming. We're going we're gonna to throw it out of an airplane. I All was right. going to say, did we do any skydiving for this one? I, I, there's, there's, there, I know that there's an attempt to crash a car. I don't know if it actually, actually happened. Oh. Ah. And now we're trying to dive with it. So It's going to be stunning. We are waiting for this, but that review is coming and we'll see. We'll see if, we'll see if yeah. the dive button does everything that we ever hoped it would do.
2: V and Becca have been mm. working really hard on it. Sounds
1: like it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it does. I mean, again, we've just been. Every time I hear about it, I'm like, huh, that's a new problem that we have to so solve. Like, we
3: need a 2003 <laughs> Ford Fiat that we can just
1: destroy.
2: Does anyone have an oxygen tank? Uh, Who's you know, scuba like, The
1: company can sign this insurance waiver, and I'm like, I don't think any of <laughs> them are going to do that. Actually, <laughs> like, we might have to hire a new lawyer and lie to them. <laughs> to pull
3: yeah, an, just pull, just pull an E on <laughs> and have them self-certify. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, that's great last thing just this is a very funny headline canoe has repurposed its electric pickup truck for the army i encourage you mm. to go look at the canoe pickup truck it's adorable and then try to imagine this thing as a weapon of war <laughs> 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 it's, a, it's very good this is a very good uh, idea fully <laughs> that's it that's the first cast We'll be back. We, we've got grand plans in David's absence. He was the yeah. one who really kept this thing on the rails. And as you can tell, <laughs> even with two hours notice, it's already going sideways. Uh, but tweeted him. Tell him congratulations. You can tweet at us. I'm at Reckless. Alex is Alex H. Kranz. Heath is Alex E. Heath. Very confusing, you two. You both. We ch- like to ones. use
2: our, our our middle names. Good job.
1: <laughs> we'll be back on Wednesday. Actually, this is like the last episode David did before he took off. Uh, David and Alex are going to talk about 15 years of the Kindle. Uh, yeah. Russell, Brandon is going to join us. He did a big project with Consumer Reports mapping out broadband. That's really cool. Last thing, we're working on our end of year wrap-ups. Call into our hotline, 866-VERGE11, 866-837-4311. Tell us who you think your winners and losers of 2022 are. Here's a challenge, though. You can't pick meta for either one. Oh, that's rough. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Can you put Elon? I, you, the people are going to call, all right? Vox Populi, <laughs> Vox day, or whatever. <laughs> 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 to, to let the people speak. Call the number 866-VERGE-11-866-837-4311. Winners and losers of 2022, but you can't pick meta. All right. Mm. That's tough. I would have to think about that for a while, but call the number and we'll, we'll let, you know, what people say. It's
2: SPF, it. both sides.
1: <laughs> it's Truly, uh, the highs and lows. All right. That's it. That's VergeCast.com.
0: And that's a wrap for VergeCast this week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, subscribe in the podcast app of your choice or tell a friend. You can send us feedback at VergeCast at TheVerge.com. This show is produced by me, Liam James, and our senior audio director, Andrew Marino. This episode was edited and mixed by Amanda Rose Smith. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters, and our executive producer is Eleanor Donovan. The Vergecast is a production of The Verge and Vox Media Podcast Network. And that's it. We'll see you next week.